Welcome to Watch Korean Cinema, episode 39 on The Uninvited. And the sassy girl Jun Ji-hyun takes a left turn from out-of-control girl in romantic comedies to the portrayal of a woman with narcolepsy after having seen her babies die in front of her. So that's a left turn, all right. Nothing is cheery uh, or melodramatic or quirky anymore. So uh, that's uh, The Uninvited for you. Plus her male co-lead in this movie sees dead people. In 2003's The Uninvited from female director Lee So Yoon. And uh, my name is Kenny B. With me to dissect this sort of deep dive in psychological horror because it's not an easy, quick, uh, digestible time necessarily. It's Hangul, Celluloids, Paul Quinn. So how are you, buddy? I'm very well. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm doing all right. And you should, because uh, you celebrated a milestone in personal online creativity as of... Uh, you even had the date down, you uh, you, anal, you anal bastard. <laughs> like, I know what date it is, I know what date it is, I'm going to celebrate it and let you all know. It's a lot simpler than that. My uh, ISP every year sends me emails going, you've got until the 23rd to renew or we'll cut you off. It's like a shut up, I know. Oh, I can make that You know, it's like, me. oh yeah, it's the 23rd, so... You know. Well, congratulations in all sincerity. And uh, what's been sort of a. It started out as writing reviews, obviously, but was there any game plan initially that. or any conception that I'm going to be. I'm going to be able to go out and meet people as well? Or what was it like 10 years ago where you were all clued into the whole uh, cultural scene that arranged screenings and visits by filmmakers and actors? I was I was very aware of it, but back, you know, if you take a couple of years before I started, and for any of your listeners that don't know, my site, Congratulate Me, has been running for 10 years as of yesterday. So back before I started writing, the Korean Film Festival was on. There were there were fewer screenings. They'd have maybe Park Chanuk and Kim Ji-un come over, but no one got to talk to them. And I started, I essentially started writing about Korean cinema because actually it's Sonia Jin, one of her films, A Moment to Remember. I read so many reviews online that offended me greatly that I decided I wanted to... Counterpoints. Yeah, I wanted to set the record straight and it just kind of took off. And it was actually, I think, a couple of years after I'd been running the site, I'd never really had the confidence to approach directors or anything. You know, I was just a... From my point of view, I was just writing about stuff I loved and why would anybody want to read that? And it was the KCC, there's a guy called Paul Corrin that was running the KCC at that time. And he sent me an email one Korean film festival year and he went, do you want, do you want to talk to Kim Ji-un? And I'm like, well, eh? <laughs> and I was like, well, yeah, really? Because he says, you know, no, nobody actually seems to want to talk to him, so come down. And when I went down, he went, we've got him, Sanxes, why do you want to talk to him too? And it was just through that year that by you know I've got audio recordings of all my interviews. I've kept them obviously. In that first interview with Kim Ji and I sound like Larry the Lamb. I'm so nervous, you know. It's <laughs> um, 
by the time I got the Sang Su, you know, I was, I was, I'd pulled myself together. So after all that, you get the confidence and you then get to the point where you sort of, you know, you stamp your foot if you're not getting an interview. So it's been a long road, but, you know, it was really thanks to Paul Corrin that, you know, he pushed me over the, the edge to, to feel that they would want to talk to someone as niche as me, you know, so. Oh, that's uh, always inspiring and uh, you haven't stopped uh, enhancing that uh, skill, for lack of a better word, that uh, practice even of uh, doing one-on-one interviews, obviously uh, doing group interviews, but uh, the point is that uh, these are physical meetups, obviously, so that, yeah. that's your little extra sort of um, skill that you can tout and uh, pat yourself on the back for that you do these uh, do these one-on-one so uh, i mean crap and crap you've ended up on dvds and stuff uh, or at least you conducted interviews that ended up on dvds and blu-rays so whether you were on camera or not so i mean holy hell the back of my head is incredibly famous <laughs> there have been years where people have gone oh look there you are look there's the back of your head look. it's called <laughs> i guess it's probably so. better than the front of my head being on camera so i'm fine with it Very cool. Well, uh, congratulations at any rate. Thank and you so here's, much. here's one for another 10 years. Any particular plans for year 11 that, uh, okay, I've uh, got something new brewing here, or is the new thing still um, exploring uh, even older Korean cinema? Pretty much. I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking to balance more things with other things. You know, w- over the last six months, I've been doing that sort of new old thing, and I'm going to keep doing that, but I want to, I really want to contrast big and small as well because um, you know i'm a huge independent cinema person but i think it, it'd be nice to just contrast them you know step by step so that that's sort of the, the for the near future and we'll see what the year brings as it goes on sometimes it's hard to sit with one particular project for stretches i mean i remember uh, in my notes sort of to-do notes what to focus on and this doesn't mean I can't return to this but for a while I wanted to focus a lot more on a decade in Hong Kong cinema and even Taiwanese cinema that I haven't explored as much and that's the 60s and the 60s in Hong Kong that opens up a lot more genres because it was the era of uh, musicals and spy movies especially Shaw Brothers Day They, they were pumping these out based on genre trend either globally or local genre trends and yeah. uh, that stuff is is total counter to what you associate with for instance Shaw Brothers and uh, and I haven't been anti that stuff but it's uh, been fun to explore and even even the other studios uh, like um, the cafe studios that was the rival to Shaw Brothers they, they produced mm. a couple of fun movies that that i i didn't know i mean this is a tangent or whatever uh I, i didn't know if i was as a westerner was going to be able to understand this and i'm talking about uh, a pair of movies that focused on it was comedies and a rivalry between businessmen and romantic uh, interludes and but the whole sort of conceit of that movie was that all of this took place between northerners and southerners meaning mandarin and cantonese speaking people right. and uh, they uh, they were all the uh, black and white uh, movies and uh, shot in sync sound as well for the time which wasn't unusual but so helps for a movie that mixes cantonese and mandarin like that and thankfully most of that got through and it was very pleasant to have been recommended that and taking the plunge and uh, sort of enhancing my understanding of uh, what movies did with uh, 
that kind of um, you know the ill treatment that might take place between a northerner and a southerner this did you know they're playing it for comedy but it's a local issue despite and it was uh, kind of nice uh, uh, one of the movies was called uh, the great uh, the greatest civil war or something like that the greatest civil war on earth or something like that and the second one was the greatest wedding on earth so uh, but uh, so I, I totally understand that with uh, uh, wanting to explore other things that versus uh, the normal normal things the norm that you do and uh, I haven't done that for a couple of months just because time passed and I was doing other things uh, so yeah. um, but it's still it's still in the pile and still things to explore and uh, Shaw Brothers as you know they didn't do one or two of these movies you know <laughs> so uh, when spy movies hit the make 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 operas are popular make 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 and uh western style musicals are popular make 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 and uh most of them will look pretty good and uh, even were good so there we are you know i think i think it's a good thing to do to be able to go back to it when you feel you want to go back to it i think i think people warm to that because they they feel it's you know you, you've got a freshness and they feel that i think yeah yeah it's not just um it's not all porn with me as it turns out <laughs> As it turns out, <laughs> preconceived notions, uh, yeah, uh, and uh, I'm the cheerleader for that preconceived notion mostly. At any rate, uh, Angle Celluloid, uh, give give the kind people a URL so they know where to um, where to visit the ten year old site. I am Paul. I run HangleCelluloid.com. You can find me at HangleCelluloid.com. I'm on Facebook at Facebook.com/HangleCelluloid. I'm on Twitter at at HangleCelluloid. You want to email me, you can email me at info at hangelcelluloid.com. As long as you remember Hangel Celluloid, you can kind of find me anywhere. And uh, since it's such a, a, a unique and uh, name not shared by that many other sites, it's pretty easy to Google you as well. If, you know, thank God it wasn't like, friend, the Korean cinema website. <laughs> Damn it, that's going to be hard to Google later on. You know, there, there were a few, back in the day, there were a a few really good sites that that chose very english names for korean cinema and you know if you googled them you'd get the korean cinema rather than the site so right i, I guess i specifically tried to ch- choose something that would stand out i guess and maybe would make people think what the hell have you called it that for and it craw it creates um, curiosity and uh, 10 years later you've crafted uh, crafted a profile and it's still building so well done there you go. Thank you very much. And as for the rest of the contact information, this is What's Korean Cinema on the Podcast on Fire Network. We are located on podcastonfire.com along with all our other shows that covers, among other things, Hong Kong cinema, new and old. We cover Japanese cinema, Korean cinema on this show. We do sleazy movies. We uh, create uh, bonus episodes every now and again. And if you want to reach us, uh, you are welcome to do so. Podcast on Fire at googlemail.com. You can also interact with us on social media by uh, following the handy buttons at the top of our website site to facebook for instance that will lead you to our page but uh, if you follow the show post links or type in podcast on fire network on facebook you will find our discussion group with uh, most of the discussions and show updates uh, located there as well as uh, the awfully easy but also popular and fun uh, fred that i dab uh, that i dubbed screen cap frenzy 
and people <laughs> like you know it's a it's a fun thing to do to get people out of the woodwork to post something you know, well random. totally and there there are certain certain individuals that are really really enjoying it there are some that are repeatedly posting it's very funny and it's very they funny should. indeed and they should it's I'm great it's great so uh, you, you 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 should shower that thread with uh, here's 50 images of jun ji hyun and i don't think that's overdoing it at all so sue me I'm, that sounds like a challenge <laughs> It sounds like you. <laughs> well, it kind of does. I, I, I you know, totally do that. My hands are in the air, even though you can't see them. And uh, click the Twitter button to follow our tweets, uh, the iTunes button to subscribe to us on iTunes. And if you like What's Korean Cinema or any other podcast on Fire Network show, leave a star rating or even a written comment if you are uh, if you are an iTunes user. And finally, click the Stitcher Radio button to stream us on Stitcher Radio, either online or on the application available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. And as mentioned, I run a review website too. I've, I've had mine around for years, but I don't bother counting the numbers and celebrating anything. It's uh, it's simply there, and I update it as often as I can. It's so goodreviews.com, covering a variety of Hong Kong and Taiwanese genre movies, plus other genres in between as well, of course. And uh, my video hub with uh, my very basic uh, video reviews is uh, sleazykvideo.com, and my tweets are available at so Good Reviews. But uh, we talked the uninvited, of course, and uh, if you've forgotten about it, that's what the episode is about. We're not here to congratulate ourselves uh, only, but uh, we're going to possibly shower a little praise onto a movie that's from 2003. So it's, uh, per definition, a bit old in people's eyes. Uh, for me, it's a new movie, but uh, per definition, it's a 15-year-old movie after all. So. And uh, we have a few sections about uh, The Uninvited uh, coming up and some talking points. Uh, uh, I'll label all of that with timestamps in the show post. Uh, so um, if you want to navigate the episode, uh, get to the review immediately, you can do so. But uh, I hope you stick around and uh, listen to the following uh, content. Uh, first of all, we talk uh, South Korean cinema horror in general and trends throughout the ages leading up to the late 90s early millennium. We then do some general notes on infrequent female director Lee So-yoon. We also provide some notes because we've talked the majority of her career before uh, on actress uh, Jun Ji-hyun, uh, the career of this time. I, I want to get a sense of uh, what Paul thinks of what, what the career was and what it was, where it was heading at this time. And uh, we also talk the film's reception before we review and discuss the movie. Spoiler free. The thing is, maybe we'll touch upon some mid-movie revelations, but uh, nothing extensive, I think. Uh, it's not like this has a major twist like Tale of Two Sisters or Save the Green Planet, where you want to discuss it, but you have to sort of tag it with spoilers, if so. But uh, maybe we'll mention something that happens mid-movie, and if you want to go in clean and blind, then um, then uh, watch the movie and then come back and uh, we'll wait for you at any rate the uninvited from 2003 the review of it coming up in the entire sort of uh, themed episode on it coming up and plot from paul's review of at hang girl cellular do you know when you wrote it uh, movie's release or way later way later um my review of the uninvited is five or six reviews ago um i just did that thing we ended up chatting about it and i ended up chatting about it on social media and there were so many people that were sort of saying, you know, I've never seen it, that I thought it was time to step back. So it was one of my, you know, something old, something new. And it was the old mixed with, you know, something new, which I can't actually remember what it was. But um, so this is this is quite a recent review. It's only three, four months, maybe. 
and and I'm pretty daft thinking like, do you write this on release? Obviously, his site has been around since 2008. So, uh, but because uh, presumably you didn't write reviews for years and years and years so on paper and crap, and then uploaded it all five years later. No, essentially, essentially, I I ran a blog six months before I went and got a URL and and went live, and I went live you know, 2008, as you say. So by the time I went live, I had about 10 reviews that went online. And once it built a little bit, then you feel like you're going in the right direction. But, you know, The Uninvited, as I say, is a very recent review. So Very cool. And it is about the following. The character of Jong Won, played by Park Shin Young, is an interior designer whose marriage to He Yun played by Yo Sun, is fast approaching. Returning to his apartment late one evening, he discovers his fiance has bought a rather gaudy, modern-looking four-seat dining table, uh, positioning the lights to shine on the seats rather than the table itself. And in spite of his reservations about its aesthetic value, or lack thereof, he accepts uh, her judgment that it is the ideal centerpiece for family get-togethers. However, just a short time thereafter, an overworked and exhausted Jong Won is left in abject uh, terror by the, uh, uh, albeit brief, sight of the ghostly corpses of two children sprawled across the table seats. Two kids he had recently encountered on the subway, who were later found dead on the train, having been murdered by their mother. Trying to put this terrifying encounter quickly behind him uh, and attempting to convince himself that he was imagining things, uh, Jong Won chooses to avoid his home entirely and spend some time at his father's church in Ilsan. But on ferrying some uh, uh, parishioners, is that how you pronounce that? Yeah. Yeah, okay. It is. Uh, when when doing that on the way home one night, he comes into contact with Yeon, played by Jun Ji Hyun, a young woman suffering from narcolepsy who promptly passes out uh, outside his apartment building. He takes the woman into his home to rest and so she can wait for her husband, but once she's recovered and is about to leave, she looks to the table and suggests Jung Won should put his children to bed leading him to the shocking realization that she can see the apparitions of the dead children too. Like a fourth of the movie, or a fifth of the movie, covered in that uh, plot summary. I guess, but hopefully loads of stuff left out in between as well, you know. Uh, so uh, the background, and I mean, it's, it's sort of a combination of what I'm interested in asking Paul and the hearing if there's any additional context to be brought, because talking of a genre means you sort of need to look at it in a broad fashion, going back uh, either to its the peak of its popularity in one era and even covering other eras, and uh, that, that's what this background is sort of about. So, But if we stay at... In the late 90s, in 1998, Hideo Nakata's The Ring out of Japan scared the crap out of the world through a spooky tone, but also through iconic imagery that filmmakers around the world saw opportunity in, i.e. the long-haired girl. And uh, mm-hmm. obviously the, uh, the highlight from that movie is the girl coming out of the TV. And uh, you can't rip that off, but you can rip off the presence of the long-haired girl and get away with it, you know. And and many uh, filmmakers uh, did, you know, there was an opportunity here to cash in on that, I guess. I mean, uh, whether we're talking Hong Kong, the actual Ring remake in America in the late 90s uh, or early 2000s, maybe. Uh, but um, within the late 90s slash new millennium Korean cinema, there, there certainly was horror. Experimentation with horror and ghost uh, stories, uh, but that was nothing new for South Korea in general. You know, we can track back to 
the 60s and um, efforts such as Shinsang Oak's Thousand Years Old Fox and that in itself was said to be experimenting with a genre that normally featured ghostly revenge and nothing really that much more extensive in terms of action and effects and uh, Shinsang Oak's film changed that to a degree so we're, we're in the 60s talking of some game changes and we're, we're going to talk of the late 90s early early millennium in South Korean cinema what kind of game changes were present there because I'm hitting up on the theme that they weren't that lazy with horror so um, we're getting to that but uh, is it at all possible to name like two three key points leading up to the late 90s for Korean horror cinema that you can say yeah that broke uh, open the genre locally the floodgates opened for tons and tons of movies because this happened and this happened and this happened or on the flip side Paul were, was horror still in the genre of horror? Was there only like select movies that rejuvenated the genre and no trends as such followed in the 60s, 70s and 80s? It's a very cut and dried situation in terms of Korean horror cinema. Before the new Korean cinema wave of, of the late 90s, horror was a really, really tough sell in Korea. You'll hear people talking, as you have, of, of thousand-year-old Fox and you know, suddenly at midnight from the 80s. And you really don't hear very much else because there really wasn't that much else. At that time, the majority of cinema audiences were were middle-aged women. They'd raised kids. They'd done the, you know, looking after their family. Their, Their man was out making money. The kids had grown up a little bit and they were at home and they'd go to the cinemas. And they had no interest whatsoever in horror. They'd grown up with melodrama. They'd grown up with romance. And that's what they wanted. So when filmmakers tried to bring horror in, they really had to almost push it towards them. And it just didn't work. One film that immediately comes to mind is from 1994, just before it all kicked off. Again, it's a a fox horror tale is called The Fox with Nine Tails um, and it stars he said trying to think um, Jung Woo-sung um, who is, is huge now, it was one of his first films and it's about a messenger from hell sent up to catch the last fox demon before she kills any more people to become human and even that as it steps through they try to move it into horror with the messenger who's completely useless. They move it into romance with the fox woman falling in love with the man that she rescues and who she is going to make her victim. And it becomes melodramatic at the end when she has to decide whether to kill him or not be with him, etc., etc. So they're constantly trying to aim it at this middle-aged thing. And they just... The audiences just did not want it. That all changed when the new Korean cinema wave began to hit. In 1998, a film called Whispering Corridors came out, and it was the first of what's become known as the girls' school horror. And it was aimed specifically at young women and, and I guess, young boys who were at high school age and weren't going to cinemas. And they marketed it so well that... There was just a huge influx of people going to the cinema to see this new type of horror, um, which kind of even had sort of lesbian overtones as well, which was really, you know, that drew them in. It was so controversial. 
they followed that up with Memento Mori, which was even more successful um, in, as the next in the series. And it went on and on and on. And from there, filmmakers suddenly found that they were able to do horror. They were able to make successful horrors, but they had to aim it at a younger audience than they'd been aiming it at beforehand. It's it's almost like they took a hammer to a wall as soon as Whispering Corridors appeared because it just changed everything almost overnight. I mean, I mean, you hear what even if we had no well, well we had no extensive horror boom in prior decades, and but but you hear those sort of stories repeated. I guess the uh, the folk tales and the myths and the legends and the shape shifting foxes and uh, totally. And and I guess that that never really took as such as a great spectacle, uh, you know, only in select movies. Uh, and I guess we talked about it, but uh, those decades, you know, 60s, 70s and 80s, uh, if, if anything was booming, you know, maybe, you know, it was a mixture of, you know, erotic and the violent and the social realist type of cinema. And if anything, that was bigger, I guess. It was massively bigger. And I mean, some of the, the biggest names back in the sort of 60s, 70s golden age were actually putting horror elements into their films, but they weren't seen as horror. If you look at Kim Ki Young, who did his whole Despicable Women thing, you watch some of his films and some of the contents are, are horror. They're horrific. And and The Housemaid is but technically it's sort of made as a classic gothic horror in a way, too, despite being being about what it is about it isn't a horror movie but they it certainly has gothic tones uh there totally totally and you know they were a success for what they were but they were sort of seen as separate they weren't seen as as making horror films they were making dramas that were horrific if 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 that can be a, a different take on it you know horror as horror per se really had a a, a desperate run until until the girls' school horror stuff started, and then the, the floodgates just opened, and I'm glad that they did. I'm kind of curious uh, if we talk specifically because because we mentioned it, we might as well talk a little bit about it. Uh, the Korea's either adaptation of the book or remake of The Ring, uh, The Ring Virus, uh, in 1999. Uh, first of all, do you know if it was a if it was a movie remake, or could you argue it's sort of a novel adaptation because it isn't resembling? Nakata's movie. Do you have any take on that? It it really does resemble it in some ways and not in others. We're going to be talking about The Uninvited and how different it is from standard horror and The Ring Virus is the same deal in terms of The Ring. It's much more understated. It's much more psychological. And yes, there is a long-haired ghost. Yes, there is a TV. But it's creepy rather than shock-boo-scare. Well, well, Nakata's movies certainly attempted that more because I, it's been ages since I watched it, but it wasn't um, a loud movie necessarily. Uh, no, totally, totally. Which made that image, that classic image, all the more shocking that uh, because you were just stuck in terror that, you know, 90 minutes of terror within two minutes or whatever, just launching at you. But they, so, so it wasn't, uh, you know, a case of cashing in quick and they, they made, in your opinion, a... A good movie, not 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 a quick commercial, transparent type of time. In the case of Ring Virus, when I say that it is my by far my favorite of the Ring series of films from anywhere, you'll just assume that I'm biased because I I write about Korean cinema, and that's true. But it is my favorite. I think it's it's very understated. I think it's deeply deeply creepy without even trying. Did he do any? Uh, did he do any business? 
it did it did fairly well in terms of Korean box office. That a lot of that's down to the fact that one people in Korea had largely seen the ring, so they were following it up, and also that it starred an actress called Shim Yun Kyun, um, who back in the day was huge. She did she was known for a series of films called My Wife Is a Gangster, you know, feisty lady who steps away from what a woman should be, et cetera, et cetera. We've, we've heard it all before, but she was, she had a massive fan base among young women. So as soon as she was in any sort of horror, they, they loved it. They flocked to it. I love the ring virus. A colleague of mine picked up a version of it. I think about a month and a half ago for 50 pence. So you can still get it and it's not going to cost you very much. I mean, I'm, I'm so talking about this boom and you're talking about it and we're, we're talking that movies are understated rather than just the same tired old global horror tropes regurgitated it seems like korea didn't necessarily do that across the board i mean i'm sure there were movies that were like oh well they're, they're clearly trying to cash in on, on movies so I'm, I'm i'm just going by gut feeling like, like like movies like phone is that a case of well it's disposable but good enough or does that actually have some more chops than what that single word in the name suggests phone in in my opinion well you know, if you look at phone it's down to psychological again it's it's that whole thing of a, is it really yeah totally um should you be on your phone should you not be on your phone the psychological totally, interplay <laughs> the main character moves to a, a, a place to try and write and she's got a new phone she's got a daughter and when the phone rings it's all this <laughs> things and it starts to affect her daughter and her daughter becomes a seemingly evil child i mean it's 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 all about the mind rather than buscar horror even though there is buscar horror um if you look at any of those i'm a huge fan of of new korean cinema horror any of, of the early 2000 films Sorum, you know, uh, Spider Forest, you know, Tale of Two Sisters, all the girls' school stuff. It's it's all really innovative, and they were really proud of what they did as they went on because of what Japan was doing, because of what the US was doing. They then started to rehash the same things, the long-haired ghost again and again and again, and things gradually became very, very generic. For a while, it was a commercial formula, though, that that worked with audiences, too. The, the people flocked to things that were that, that was complex in the case of uh, some movies. Yeah, totally, totally. But you can actually, if you look through at the the sort of the stage between, you know, the girls' school horror starting and the decent films of after sort of 2010, which we'll talk a little bit about in a minute. But if you look at those, you can actually see Korea trying to grab at stuff that will bring it back to where it was just a few years earlier. They'll do musical horror. They'll do, you know, folklore horror. They'll do school horror. They'll, they just they do surreal horror. They're really, really trying to grab onto that thing that they they feel they're losing you can't sort of argue that filmmakers like na hong jin with the wailing was part of that let's try and grab what worked before and sort of move forward uh, um, like like a the horror take and the sort of vibe of the wailing felt like it's very own thing rather than trying to recapture any old glory from new korean cinema 
Totally, very much so. And I mean, Nahong Jin's had, you know, got instantly such a reputation in just, what, four films that... Three films, I mean. Uh, three films, even, um, that other filmmakers are actually steal, almost stealing from him. And we're not talking about it in this podcast, but in a, a very near future podcast. Shamanism is the new hot thing in 2017. <laughs> There you go, 2016, 2017, and on into 2018. You can look at it that they're still sort of doing that, and some of it works, and some of it doesn't. But they, you know, back in the back in the day, after about 2004, things were sinking, and they they were having to clutch to try and find something. And we'll talk a little bit more about that because I know you're gonna ask specific things yeah we're getting to the uninvited and its impact certainly but uh, first of all we're dealing with a short directorial career career from our maker at hand here a female film filmmaker lee so yoon who made her feature debut with the uninvited uh, damn these talented people feature debut and it's uh, (laughs) off and running uh, already with uh, good stuff Uh, she had previously made a short movie with the goggles from 2003 and uh, uh, was there any word on the street in the industry about this short movie that perhaps propelled her to feature director or it's essentially unseen it's completely unseen she made it and it's noted that she's made it but i don't know anyone who has seen it i i just completely unseen because you know you never know what's what are what, what the steps might be in terms of uh what, what leads to a feature career if it's uh, if it's something that uh, cultivates like a, a rep and uh, in mm. the industry uh short movies or commercials or what have you but um and the thing is 2003 and then nothing happened and uh, we normally say, well, what are these directors? I don't know. <laughs> uh, but for once, we can uh, detail what happened, or at least we can say the director is back. Because uh, a huge gap happened and then cut to 2017 when Lee Soyeon returned with the thriller Bluebeard. So what's the word on the street quality-wise in terms of that? And any word now that she was back on in terms of what was going on between uh, 2003 and uh, 2017? So, I mean, I know you've seen it. So what's your general take on Bluebeard? Largely very entertaining horror film. Again, psychological. And it's taught it's... It is quite psychological, as is her forte in both the films she's done. There is one early scene that the main character is a surgeon um, who can't really get any work as a surgeon, so he goes to work in a clinic doing colonoscopies. And there's an early scene in which he's doing these colonoscopies and there are monitors. And you, you can actually, as you're sitting as a viewer, you're watching him putting anal probes into rectums up into the intestine. And there are characters saying, jokingly, this is the first time I've had anal. On one level, it's very taut. It ends well. On another level, there are just scenes that you just think, why am I watching this? Why do I need to see this? So entertaining, anal probes notwithstanding. (laughs) Uh, Did you do any press then mention what was going on in terms of this gap? Well, no one really cares when people go away as such. uh, In terms of, where have you been? I mean, pretty much Bluebeard did what it did, but it was a, it's come, it's gone, it succeeded well enough. There wasn't really that much talk about it. And and, and no one really uh, made a big deal about that. The director of The Uninvited is back, or it wasn't like the star of the promotional, uh, promotional angle. Though. 
certainly not. And I mean, that comes down to the fact that, you know, the uninvited isn't talked about anywhere nearly enough. It's been a thing. It was a, among people like me, it was a classic Korean film that, you know, everybody has in their collection, but among the normal population, you know, they didn't care. They didn't, it wasn't, oh, here, that director's back. It had, you know, it, it's 10 years. So uh, one person that didn't go away, really, uh, was uh, actress uh, John Ji-hyun. And uh, we, we've talked about her career in detail in the Man Who Was Superman episode uh, up until that point. I mean, maybe the ending point was her big uh, award-winning um, stint on the um, on the TV series uh, back in uh, back in the day. I've forgotten the name of it. Uh, well, there, there have been a couple nights she she did um my love from the star that's it that's it and uh she she also did one i think uh beneath the sea something uh, a, a series that she played a mermaid in which was also massively huge right on but set the stage for 2003 jun ji hyun way before jana and all of that <laughs> was uh the uninvited uh representing a role where she so should she could flex a bit more of the because she she had an image and style of and an image and style of performance i guess that got her pigeonhole for a little bit so my sassy girl was the you know the, the pros and cons of that was that people wanted to see my sassy girl um, yeah, yeah. so so by doing the uninvited was that a brave choice to, and a total sort of u-turn for her or no really bats an eyelid in korea if you pick different things no i think i think it it was a big step. I mean, she she became a huge star because of my sassy girl and the subsequent things. But I think this was a choice she felt she had to make rather than necessarily wanting to make it. You know, she was constantly being cast in in melodramas or romances. How many movies after my sassy girl is this? I mean, had they gone back and do? Uh, had they gone back to? Uh produce and make a windstruck by this point or that was later windstruck was later and that that comes down to the bit if you look at windstruck it's essentially her character from ilmer if you look at white valentine it's essentially her character from my sassy girl you know she got pigeonholed either in the the lost girl who needs to be loved or the feisty you know overly fighting girl it, um windstruck actually she stars as a policewoman who who can't control her anger she goes to chase a, a bloke she goes my sassy girl on him she meets the person who will be her love by arresting him and beating him up and he turns around it's essentially you know military my sassy girl so by that stage even early in her film she was just getting t- typecast into one of the two things that had been huge hits and i think she had to step away and do something completely different and i think this was a good choice for her and you you've hinted at before that the uninvited didn't do well and uh, i couldn't find admissions figures for it uh, i think uh, one of the sites out there covers from like 2004 and onwards so uh, that was my uh, that was the hurdle i encountered but uh, two big hitters of 2003 it had to go up with uh, or three big hitters even uh, it had to go up against with the likes of uh, Silmido, Silmido, Memories of Murder, My Tutor Friend so even though they weren't all released at the same time I mean when you tell it up the year how did The Uninvited do in the Korean uh, box office? In terms of admissions The Uninvited had 246,000 average for the time I guess if you look at the 
the admissions of 2003, a lot of them are 200,000, 100,000, 500,000. If you compare it to the big hitters, Memories of Murder had nearly 2 million admissions. Um, Silmodo had 3.5 million admissions. Old Boy, which was out the same year, you know, you're talking 2 million admissions. So in terms of those, it didn't do very well at all. But overall, if you look at just Korean releases through that year, it was actually 21st. So it's not great, but out of the top 50, it's sort of halfway. Out of films international and Korean, it was 51. It didn't do very well. It didn't have that many admissions, but it was up against really, really tough competition. You know, that year had Double Agent that we've reviewed. It had it had the classic. It had My Tutor Friend. It had Old Boy. It had Memories of Murder. You know, it had A Tale of Two Sisters. These are, it had Wishing Stairs, which was the third film of the, the girls' school horror. So this was a huge year for it to be 21. I think it did okay. And uh, in terms of uh, awards time, uh, Graham, the Grand Bell Awards in Korea highlighted the film uh, with, with a few nominations, including Best Supporting Actors for uh, Yo Sun, which is the fiancé, and Best New Director for uh, Lee So Yeon. But uh, that year otherwise was dominated by, by a mixture of uh, the mentioned Old Boy, who got Best Director and Actor, My Little Bride, A Good Lawyer's Wife, The Big Swindle, uh, in a variety of categories. They, they really spread them out. Uh, a, a lot of films won or something. But the uh, Best film that year went to Kim Kidak's Spring, Summer, Fall, Winter and Spring. Uh, it seems like, I mean, we were talking the 04 uh, ceremony here, so it seems like The Uninvited wasn't eligible for the 2003 ceremony. That uh, It wasn't, it had to wait till 2004. So, uh, but but the, the upset of uh, of that year, uh, or was it an upset if we talk Kim Kidak's uh, movie, uh, Spring, Summer, Fall, Winter and Spring? Um, uh, because I, I didn't see it in winning any other category really other than best film i mean spring summer is is what it is i mean kim kim ki Duck, prior to his 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 recent troubles you know went went from loved by everyone in the the entire industry to hate it to love to hate it spring summer i think deserved best film in terms of its beauty because it is beautiful and in terms of the fact that he didn't actually put too much of Kim Kidok's dialogue in it, which he can't, he's no good at writing. Oh, I don't remember much dialogue for those movies anyway, because they, 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 he normally has silent characters. Exactly, exactly. So not necessarily an upset, I'd say more a surprise, especially considering, you know, the, the, the other films of the year that, that go, go alongside that you could have they could have chosen instead. So it was a tough crowd to win in against. So the uninvited wasn't uh, like a shoe in in terms of uh, oh, it's gonna get, it's gonna get those awards. It's just one of those things. Well, strong field nominated is great, and whatever happens, happens, I guess. Pretty much, and you know, it, the problem the uninvited had was that audiences really weren't that bothered. Critics liked it. Critics thought it was worthy, which is why it got nominated here, there, and wherever. But it was fighting a losing battle, really, from the get-go, because it's not your standard horror, as we're about to discuss. 
and uh, but abroad in other festivals and ceremonies, the uninvited did take home some honors, uh, such as the Citizen Kane Award for Best Directorial Revelation at the Sitka's Catalonian International Film Festival. Director Lee So Yun uh, received the Women in Film Career Award at that festival, and the uh, Bak Sang Art Awards acknowledged her as Best New Director as well. So it's uh, nice to be recognized, even if not at the big one, which isn't a be all and end all, of course, but uh, it's uh, always nice to highlight new. And uh, regardless what the sort of ratio is between male and female filmmakers in uh, Korea, it's uh, still a nice award to have to uh, encourage creativity, whether male or female. So, so that's it, uh, sort of a background. We've set the stage for what the Uninvited did uh, business-wise and how it fit into the genre. But in terms of our opinions, let's do the review. And uh, as for my short opinion, um, although I've written a thing here, but it's still the short opinion. And you're going to do yours afterwards. This kind of stuck with me as a mixture of horror, uh, some dips into tropes, but uh, with a realistic touch. Meaning characters are dealing with awakened realizations, current real-life tragedy. You know, while it does have that horror, ghost, spiritual touch, it's a, it's, it's a rather quiet movie, meaning that it, it's in tune with the realism, it's technically well-staged, and the character aspect of it all stuck with me. You have to work a little, though, because it is quite a complex movie, so... And it's tricky to dissect at points, but not this surreal, abstract experience. It's just just that it doesn't say everything to you and do your homework for you. Uh, as Paul alluded to in our conversation uh, privately, some points are perhaps not meant to have clear answers. But all in all, a welcome challenge if you... And if you didn't like her antics in My Sassy Girl, here's a, uh, you know, the other accomplished side from... The, I know, I know. But here's the other accomplished side from the young actress, uh, and it doesn't stray into melodrama hysterics. Like, uh, here, here's an actress taken down. So... I wasn't a fan of my sassy girl. She did okay, but I like this side of her better, where she's uh, uh, there, there's less melodrama, less uh, less puking on the train, <laughs> or whatever it was <laughs> that movie. And it, the great thing is, you know, with narcolepsy, she's able to fall asleep quite a bit, so it cuts down on the need for dialogue as well. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that's a little a little cheeky end to it all. Uh, what's your brief opinion first of all of the uninvited? As I've kind of pointed to, I think the uninvited deserves to be talked about an awful lot more than it has been over the years it's kind of been ignored everybody knows of its existence even people that didn't know about it came to know about it because of the remake of a tale of two sisters being called the uninvited and everybody that talked about it said no it's not the one with jun ji and this is a different thing so people are aware of its existence but not Enough people have seen it, not enough are talking about it. I think it's deeply understated. I think it's deeply brooding and creepy. And I like the fact that some scenes you're left to ponder whether they're real or whether they're not. That worked for me. Mm-hmm. Well, well, we'll get into it. But uh, first of all, um, the number four in the title, uh, I want to explain that uh, without spoiling the movie. You see that at the top of the movie, there's a number four in the title. What's that about? So, spoiler free, uh, What uh, does it translate uh, from Korean to English in any particular way? Or what's the reference in terms of four? It very much does. After you guys have listened to this podcast, if if you want to hear, you know, Hangul Celluloid rant a bit in text, 
go and read my review of the uninvited there are a lot of films that we've we've talked about that change their name when they come to being put out in england you know ingo was changed to a muse which completely brought up a an outdated idea which wasn't what the movie was about at all dead friend in korea became ghost here which said nothing at all and was just done to make it more blandly acceptable and the uninvited is actually not called the uninvited at all the original korean title translates as table for four and considering the fact that a gaudy overly lit table in the main male character's kitchen plays a big part in the narrative um taking it away and calling it the uninvited just does non-korean speakers a disservice because it gives a fair hint at what you're about to see mm -hmm. yeah and 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 to state that that wasn't the international title uh, or anything uh, that was the chosen title in korea when all of a sudden done uh, so um uh, even though they might have printed some stuff that says table for four i don't know but uh, yeah it originated in korea that uh, title uh, good or not so um yeah. and i guess uh, during the horror boom to present something called table for four might not be enticing as such so i guess i guess i think it, personally i think it's a much much better title i think it sums the movie up a lot more and 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 links to it a lot more there, there there's almost uh horror tropes in the opening alone you know the train station becomes a little bit desolate in certain in certain sections and our main male character you know he reaches the last stop and it's all desolated and uh, he see creepy he sees creepy kids on the train so uh it, it wasn't a weakness i was just uh, amused by the fact that uh, yeah it, it doesn't care if it uh, slots itself into stuff with half seen before uh, tro tropes is certainly nothing that is evoked in the movie uh, and and there's no puking on heads or passed up <laughs> put on people's heads either on the train so there you go like uh, no mass as a girl uh, <laughs> you know uh, copy here uh, but i i do like um, that the director presents a trait I, I don't know how much you noticed this I'm, I'm i'm sure you did but i like the director plays with um loud and sort of ambient sounds mm for for sometimes slight shock but also as deception and uh, before we see the table we see the character of uh, that uh, Yosun plays installing uh, I, I, either another light or the table itself and uh, the character enters the apartment and you hear that this ambient sound this technical sound and it is her working right so it is uh, that little deception without a startle as uh, as we get into the story thread of uh, that they don't seem that enthusiastic about getting married, which, which you know, she's very open with that. But I, I don't think that's a weakness of the movie that, well, one seems a bit dormant and one is all in in terms of the wedding planning and a bit dominant in the relationship. I, the girlfriend, is, uh, is this and she doesn't respond well to plans and all of that, uh, change of plans, uh, rather. So he seems disconnected uh, and that's us being planted in the middle of the story, which I didn't think was a weakness at all we, because we, we can sense that, yeah, well, marriage is going to happen, but they're not lovey-dovey and um, mm. happy about it necessarily. Key for the movie, works for the movie to to depict that love is not necessarily uh, blooming here. Totally, totally. Um, it, it works like a charm and I think it's, it's part of... of the raison d'etre, if you will, of the film. And along with that, the whole 
table for four thing underlines that from my point of view. If you as you watch the uninvited, there's this big table, you know, and if you look at Korean cinema, you know, pick a random Korean film, put it in your DVD player, watch it, and you'll see somewhere bonding with food. The people sitting around the table eating, eating, eating. It's everywhere. They're into their food. At no point until the very, very conclusion of this film do you ever see him sitting down eating food with his family or his soon-to-be wife at this table. Mm. You only see him. You see him eating food with his his priest father at his place, but that's his turf. You never see that table being used for food until the end of the film, and that sort of from the outset for me said his life isn't really all it should be because if it was, there would be bonding with food, and it just sort of underlines that whole. He's not really into this. It's not going very well. Um, he may well start to fall apart. That isn't what kickstarts all of this. That that's his life currently, and uh, obviously, the tragic story of the murdered girls in the subway and uh, he also has a workplace accident that seems to trigger something in him but i i wanted to talk a little bit technically because i i really like the choices of um, how lee our director depicts the discovery of the girls in the subway we just see uh, a floor shot of dangling feet and someone discovering that and screaming and we get that we don't need a full shot of these uh, totally uh, poisoned children actually they, they they weren't murdered in terms of being stabbed or shot or whatever and that leads to a point I very much admire, that the movie is very technically lean. It's almost clinical in the way yeah. it's staged. And what I mean by that, it's still and static, but still involving because the movie's tone doesn't doesn't require, and I know I bring him up all the time, but the movie's tone doesn't require a frantic Tony Scott at the helm. Right, so uh, it's a logical choice for me. So uh, do you want to say anything uh, technically about uh, what she does here? I, I think that's one of her strong points and it, it does show t- to a lesser degree but still show in Bluebeard. She hits the nail on the head. You, some of those scenes you don't need to see and it's almost what you just see the tail end of that that freaks you out more than something that's right in your face full frame. Um, I think she, from the outset, was a master at that. It works really well and she does it on numerous occasions throughout the uninvited it's it's superlative yeah he, he doesn't try to dazzle us technically uh, it, it almost like, it's almost like a lot of the the movies locked down has locked down cameras uh, you know we, we cut from static to static uh shots if you will and uh, it's it's still it's a marvel that what one can evolve despite being very still um, so she communicates very well at the same uh, at the same time. And totally. we, while we do have scares here, the the funny thing about uh, the discovery of the children at the table, if I remember the scene correctly, because I kind of was startled by we see that he's scared about uh, he's scared of it. But I think the cut is to him driving away. You know, we cut to the highway and he's uh, he's freaked out, and we hear fairly loud sound design, and that's why it's kind of a startle and freaky because we're we're not let go of that moment audio wise you know do you know what i mean like she she cranks sort of the audio despite not watching the kids anymore yeah in the scene you know what i mean like because it it's a you know all of a sudden the movie gets cranked a little bit and it flees i really like that because i was sort of like "Mm," 
like grasping my chair almost despite not even seeing those kids anymore it's a fairly you know we see them for a few seconds and then boom we're out and i think that's the strength of it as well that you you only see them for a few seconds or you see them just in the background again for a few seconds and it switches to something else that may be jarring that may be orally or orally noisy that that's that's off-putting for the sake of what it is rather than the kids which are still in your mind even though you've only glanced on them and uh, i very much agree and and also she is painting a rather challenging picture because there's a lot of clues laid down where where it's almost like dream imagery or it might be flashbacks because we're transported to almost new random places uh, it seems like in dreams you know he's uh, back at his old village and he sees this kid that shows him a drawing of uh, circular imagery and they are clues and uh, but she doesn't make it easy for us and uh, i i wasn't frustrated with that i was sort of just unclear on a, on a few things but i you know overall i got it but was that a challenge she lived up to to put f- a fair amount of psychological stuff here and also you know concrete stuff about possible past you know uh, that, that juggling act uh, I want to talk a little bit about that I think it really works I think it's worth watching a film like The Uninvited a couple of times the first time it is in terms of 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 those scenes kind of jarring because you're trying to put it together it is quite complex and you're not sure sometimes whether it's his dream or if it's a flashback or etc etc it's worth revisiting i and for a horror to warrant a revisit i think says it all yeah because because in that village scene i think it's him as an adult uh meeting that kid in the street that shows him yeah. the uh, the the painting with the circular imagery and and we, we see that circular imagery throughout the movie and in all honesty i i i can't think of exactly where it fit but maybe a rewatch will aha that now the coin fell down but that doesn't mean that the movie failed in its uh overall depiction of uh, psychology it's just the, the circular imagery i have no real take on that personally yeah uh, it, it meant something but uh I'm, I'm i'm not quite sure yet it's as much surreal as anything else and you know it's just i i like i like the fact that you know when you see him step back for the first time he is an adult looking at at young children and it just it offsets everything you're constantly left just jarred a little bit something's not quite right and it's that brooding something's wrong here that just hangs with you the whole way through and i mentioned that she uses uh, enhanced sounds and louder sounds like uh, elevator pinging and phones ringing uh, or other loud sounds which sounds lazy but she isn't really populating the movie with you know, whenever there's dread, there's not an increase of... Mm, yeah, totally. Uh, and so it, it stays rather quiet. I thought, thought that was a, quite a quaint choice to have natural sounds in the environments as sort of uh, horror playtime a little bit, I suppose, rather than the regular surround sound boom, we, 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 which we don't get really in this movie. Uh, as such, even when we see the girls at the table, I, I do remember that that discovery was over children at the table that discovery was mo- more quiet versus the cut to him on the highway right totally totally <clears throat> excuse me i think it i think it's stronger for that the fact that you know you're seeing something that is essentially shocking 
and it's quieter than the subsequent scene where he's freaked out. I think that's another huge strong point. We haven't talked to her, and I'm not going to really yet, because uh, we only see glimpses of her for the first ha- half hour, and even, um, so there's no, like, introductory shot of Jun Ji-hyun, our star mm. here, or anything. Uh, but rather, there's a focus here on, um, on, on obviously, what is going on, and we're not ahead of these makers, thankfully. Uh, they're, they're, uh, they're, they're able to escape familiarity, because I've not seen a story like this uh, before, and uh, it f- feels unique enough, and if I ask questions, then I'm then I'm engaged. Uh, and and when I look at our male character, he internalizes his experience because he doesn't know. So it stays away from cliches. It treats the movie a bit more um, quiet, a bit more realistic because he he isn't or he isn't talking to a lot of people. Right? Guess what I saw? <laughs> that really freaked me out. It, it isn't really that movie that uh, overstates. Uh, things and that that leaves me to him i'm i'm sure i've seen a movie or two with him but might also be my first movie Park chin uh young he comes off as an actor who doesn't seem to be doing much he, and he looks rather plain looks like a guy yeah it looks like looks like the guy next door yeah uh, yet there is emotions there is fear there's distraught there's confusion but his ordinary looks and certainly that commitment to internalize things and finding out what it means and it will reach an emotional crescendo, yes, but it serves the character a lot better that um, you're... Cl- and, and maybe this is because I'm new. The experience with the actor is new, but I, I didn't feel I was looking at a movie star doing a damn good job, but rather this... Uh, I, I was sort of watching a character and an actor doing very well with uh, with that character. You know, uh, you've, you've pretty much hit the nail on the head. He's one of those faces of Korean cinema that you know you've seen before. And you rack your brains to try and think of the films that he's been in. And when you look at his filmography, you realize that he's just been doing character acting and his his face has been recognizable. But he's so much almost part of the furniture. Because he doesn't take up space either. He's not that actor totally. that's got to take up space like a Choi min can and all of that. You know, yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, if you go through his filmography, he was in Kilimanjaro, which is huge, Indian Summer, which was huge, High Dharma, which was new Korean cinema, you know, wacky comedy. And I would almost challenge anybody that had seen any of those big, big films to place his character because he's just he's the guy next door. He's he's there, but you almost you almost go past him to the you know, the big star, be it Junji or whoever. And I think that's a strong point as well, because he's so laid back, really, that watching him gradually lose his mental capacity is like watching a real just guy next door lose it. Yeah, it felt uh, not anonymous, but more immersive um, because of that. And uh you know, any good actor, put a Wang Jingmin in this, and I'm sure it would be tremendous, even though ah, Wang Jingmin, he's acting so well right now. <laughs> right? Uh, but it, it, it was more really, there's a story. There's a story focused. And even when we see her, she's certainly not dolled up as such, because that that's not the intent of uh, the character uh, Jun plays. I mean, she's a pretty lady, but she's worn and a little, little out of it, uh, which has its reasons, uh, obviously being... Um, burden with this sickness uh, you know or condition of narcolepsy and uh, i don't know if she was that tied to her overly made up glamorous personality in movies and uh, commercials and what have you but but it certainly doesn't um, 
uh, seem like she's in huge pain or discomfort playing this character that's uh, sort of warts and all in a way. She, I mean, she's a pretty lady, but she isn't. She looks out of it a little bit. And uh, I, I think that says something for her strength as an actress as well. You know, it's very easy to say, you know, she's she's quite close to the highest paid Korean actress from, from the years from this to the present day. I mean, she's still massive for her to be able to just get rid of most of the makeup and just be, you know, down and not the the model, not the you know, dancey girl with the the beautiful makeup selling subway rolls, etc., etc. I, think I bought a, one when I saw that commercial. I bought two. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. You know, I, I think that says a lot for her integrity as an actress. And it's very easy to say, oh, she was, you know, the star of My Sassy Girl. She's now a big TV star. So, you know, oh, wow. But, you know, you look at The Uninvited and that's just an actress doing what she has to do to play a very, very broken, fractured character. I think it's it's good for her. Yeah, she's clearly burdened with something, and I'm 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 going to keep most of this vague. But uh, where I did worry a little bit, uh, the, the movie tied itself together, obviously. But where I did worry a little bit is when a director she starts to pile certain details on, and you you you're sort of worried that please keep this clear in your head and communicated well to us because you know we we have fragments of uh, you know obviously seeing her children killed there's a uh, vision while she's um while another character is um having an mri performed on her so it seems like the, the characters are sharing vision so it's almost like easy 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 movie i like you but don't pile it on don't do any novice type of trickery here where you can't tie this in a nice neat bow challenging bow if you will by the end and that certainty it was a fear for a bit but it certainly was not a fear by the end is my point uh, but uh, do you recognize that that after a while yes she does go into providing more details and uh, and challenging us even more to keep track of it that was a choice right there yeah that, i think that was a massively deliberate choice i think she wanted to make things difficult i think she wanted you to work for your buck i keep every time i mention the uninvited i bring up a film called sorum um with jan jing young another film acacia um which is equally understated and they all make you work really well they're all very psychological they're all as you go through you're left thinking, are they going to be able to tie this up or am I going to be left with, you know, bits hanging there and, and everywhere. And, and and you don't want a quick solution either where they realize, like, where they painted themselves into a corner. You don't want that to happen, which was sort of yeah. my fear as well. Like, oh, my God, you you got to be sharp, man. you got to be sharp. And, it, and that happened, though. But it, it was a fear for a while. And so, so certain images I did not understand that might be clearer to me on a second viewing, like, again, I'm keeping it vague. I really want to keep it fairly spoiler-free, but at one point, uh, the uh, Jun Ji-hyun is sitting on, on the floor and is being hugged from behind by another character we get to know, and it seems like a terror sequence because she's sort of reluctantly hugged, and she's not comforted. And that was part of the, amb- uh, the ambiguous nature of the movie, but it's certainly... Uh, it, it it wasn't a, a flag necessarily. It was just I I'm not sure, but I'm I'm still I'm still here. I'm still here. <laughs> you know I'm still exploring with you. So 
she strikes that balance, I guess, uh, when all of a sudden. Uh, I think she does, and I think I, I I'd almost say because it was her first big thing that you know she had nothing to lose by doing what she wanted to do to make you work to make you think hang on what what why is that blah 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 i think she was very brave and i think she succeeded you know when you look at this versus other psychological movies or even commercial korean horror is this less anxious than certain movies in terms of taking its time developing everything throughout the two hours rather than developing everything in 45 minutes and then running out of things this again along with Sorum and Acacia and a, a very few other films stand out because they take their time and you know fans of you know jump horror within the first three minutes sort of deal will likely be frustrated by the uninvited there's nothing any of us can do about that but I think it's actually one of the film's strengths that it takes the time it wants to take it works for me and i think it works for the film it certainly does i mean we know when when they start to get together more uh, as characters uh, and we get a sense of what she brings to the table in terms of her past and uh, because the, the movie sort of deals with repressed memories in a, in a way mm-hmm. uh, the questions of are these dreams or these past events that have been triggered and uh there's a big thing with uh, Jun Ji-hyun that, that is a big reveal, obviously, that we won't spoil. And the reason I was asking and sort of trying to confirm that with you, I probably was sort of right when uh, when we talked about that privately, means that the, the movie still did its job. Where, where I afterwards, at least, well, I think it was this, wasn't it? That she had the capabilities of doing this and this and this, right? So, I mean, that balance, when I'm talking about it, that's not frustrating either when I get to the end of the movie nor when I'm thinking about it afterwards. It felt rewarding to a degree, despite being a bit uncertain. I always remember watching The Uninvited not far off the same time I saw A Tale of Two Sisters for the first time, and I love A Tale of Two Sisters, but in comparing them, when I watch the Taylor Two Sisters and you get the final montage reveal, if you like, yes, you feel relieved because you now know what's going on. You can go back and rewatch it and be deeply impressed that Kim Ji-un pulled it all off. With something like The Uninvited, I can remember watching it and then putting the TV on and not being able to concentrate because you know certain scenes towards the end of the film were sticking in my mind and I was like was was it that I and I I was sitting for for time working it out until I'd figured what I thought was correct which is pretty much what you said when we spoke and I I loved the fact that it wouldn't leave me alone for prolonged period of time afterwards until I'd figured out what I thought had gone on to a point where I was happy with it. And I, that that worked for me. It really stayed with me. And she doesn't sort of say like, oh my God, you are, you can. It, it's it, the movie, that, it, with its reveals, it doesn't go those routes like like certain movies do. Oh my God, I can't believe you are. You know, it, it still keeps it vague in terms of that, but don't abstract and yeah. totally, um, the, the, like the answer is there. So it, it's not overindulgent in abstract, nature or in over Ted over Ted thankfully um but uh, if you're left with a few questions it's probably okay I mean we we, we do get 
shamanism trickles into this movie, you know, in the deeper mystery of it all and yeah. why the children are present in these two characters' uh, vicinity and uh, what is causing this and all of that. And uh, working for it was okay. Um, I, I have to say, can't remember a lot of movies treating children like cannon fodder like this one does. Because... Oh, there's so many kids die and there's some pretty nasty stuff here and we're not talking necessarily decapitations and spurt 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 no just matter of fact almost way too realistic staged violence uh, with special effects obviously involved too but this is kind of unsettling what goes on here especially towards kids but uh, there's also a suicide attempt towards the end of the movie that's so matter of fact that it's an effect, but it's also one of those things that I hope no stunt man had to do that because yeah, that totally. looked painful. You know, and again on her understated things, I I love the fact that some of the the things you see involving children are they're almost visual glances. You get it for less than a second, and it's only afterwards that your mind puts together what you just saw, mm-hmm. and then you're even more shocked. I I think she handles that really really well and i think she's very brave to do what she does with with so many kids man wow i mean i remember todd my co-host on taiwan or he he, he often talks about the especially in asian cinema that there's this lack of uh not love but a lack of sort of uh, uh what was the word he used that, that that children are not treated as you know sweet sugary yeah, yeah. cotton and everything you you can't hurt children like that this they're sort of fair game and uh, obviously they, they aren't uh, doing anything to actual actress uh, actors or actresses here and uh, I mean the, the the big scene where uh, I can tell this much where a poor kid gets run over by a car obviously it's an effect but what a real looking effect yeah I it's mean, excruciating wow. and that's how you sort of uh, use effects to uh, you think out you, you, you think it through how to do it in CG, how to do it physically, and how how long you show certain things. You know, a, lo- a lot of the special effects in this movie, if talking about computer stuff, I think is more glances than anything yeah. else. Uh, you know, when people fall off buildings and all of that, that's uh, more a fast thing, which is uh, a way, you know, you don't linger on that. They, they, they are great effects, but they aren't meant to be lingered on. So um, she, has, she, she has a great eye for that, and obviously her technical crew has a great... I for that and uh, towards the end I mean uh, Junji she's young but she's got a good grasp of how far to go as an actress uh, because there's scenes where she's almost hyperventilating and uh, she's having panic attacks and uh, outbursts and uh, that she handles very well because at at that point the emotional intensity makes sense for the movie and some of it I wasn't completely sure of in terms of why is there emotional intensity in uh, in our male character, which he watches the newspaper clippings on the floor. I might have missed the detail, but I'm going to go back. So it's one of those things where a few things are unclear, but they're not going into melodrama hysterics and overdrive, thankfully. This this tone, this volume makes sense, and the movie aren't going there. But but they aren't. In, it isn't melodramatic intensity that's, that you scoff at, that you've seen ten times that week. And I think that, it, considering the fact that this is 2003 and you look at a, a great many of the the the, fil- the Korean films, whether they be horror or anything else, the coda is always going to be melodrama, always going to be melodrama. And the fact that this isn't just 
makes it stand out even more. And I think that was brave as well, considering what was really popular at the time. I'm going to ask you something that I, I might cut out because it might be a huge spoiler, but the only, the only thing I didn't get was the um, the monologue about the church goers in, in the rain. Uh, did that have anything at all to do with he that he possibly had? Because she talks about one person had an umbrella and the other ones didn't. From my point of view, I took that along with... There's a, a, a lot of scenes more and more towards the end where Jinji Hoon's character constantly talks about, you know, you don't believe me. Do you believe me? I'll make you believe me. The whole idea of belief in whatever is a massive theme throughout. And I, from my take, that conversation, which I actually chose to, every time I do a review, I've got a little quote at the very start before the synopsis. And I chose to put that little story there because it hit me so strongly i honestly think that was just saying you know the number of people who who say they believe but actually don't carry their umbrella when they pray for rain whereas only one innocent child who was upfront about it i think it just speaks to the whole theme of belief and as you watch visually there are lots of scenes where as we say you don't know if it's maybe a flashback or if it's a nightmare. And I think that's down to her saying to viewers, what do you believe? Which which of these do you believe to be the case? I think it just underlines that. That's all I took from it. Yeah, because the, it was the only the only weakness in the movie. It doesn't have to do with um, the content of that. But uh, I, I don't know. I, I have a little thing when, against when people start monologuing randomly in movies like she does in the car you know i mean it's a great great speech but it was the only thing that took me out of the movie reality and into yeah you you can you kind of feel the same about monologues as i do about exposition really i think i mean because we we didn't get the sense of the the uh, fiance having this trait about her stopping to i always think about the church you know that's i was a little bit hmm well okay then but not my favorite part of the movie, but, uh, but so prepare to work for it. But uh, the work is worth it, and I'll conclude my notes right there. So I'll leave it to you if you want to uh, give us any other notes from beginning, middle, but not end of the movie. All I'll say is this is one of the most understated Korean horrors that stands against Korean horrors of the time. Every, every time you think about a long-haired ghost, or you think about you know a possessed child, or anything else that you expect from Korean horror of of the early 2000s, this steps away from it. And I think it's hugely strong. It's, it should be talked about more. It should be watched and rewatched. I think Jin Ji Hoon was really wise in doing it as a film. And I think Lee Soo Young created a wonderful film. Admittedly afterwards, she went and, you know, got married, had babies and the whole Korean cinema side changed and, from what I can gather, the reason she's back now is because Korean cinema is much more open to female directors again. You know, for a first film and the only one of two films she's ever done, do check out The Uninvited. It's it's worthy. Hopefully there's um, more creativity sooner rather than later, but uh, it seems like she can afford to take her time and uh, 
not go broke in the process by by not working so as for availability it isn't present as such on blu-ray on hd as far as far as i can see and it's in general uh, regarded as out of print in asia but the uk dvd by tartan is readily available either uh, new because you can find it as like it's amazon that sells it uh, uh, but there, there there are also used copies available for reasonable prices very reasonable you know below 10 pounds or even below five pounds so you can still get it and uh, it's a fine viewing option and um, all of that so so let's uh, conclude this episode uh, the uninvited a little dip into psychological horror that uh, you might not have heard of uh, i knew of it but i'd never seen it because um, it was yeah because I, I know most movies by title when you rattle off titles from that era i just remember that people saw them and talked about them even though i saw only a smattering of uh, of these movies like uh, hi dom i heard of that my my, my tutor friend heard of that my wife is gangster heard of that but uh, it was just uh, it was the talk of the town so to say online uh, for a while so um uh, and that's not a bad thing and the uninvited was part of that discussion regardless of what people thought of it uh, that's the thing i didn't follow in terms of what was the rep of movies uh, unless they were obviously the revenge trilogy or things like that that people really talked about uh, because uh, that's the nature of the impact that those uh, those movies had uh so let's uh, finish this one off and uh, really brief with the contact information for all your podcast on fire network needs including the back catalog of what's korean cinema episodes go to podcastonfire.com our email is podcastonfire at googlemail.com and for all social media links they will be in the show post or follow the handy buttons at the top of our website for um, for access to our social media let us know if you saw the uninvited the korean one and even if you saw the uninvited US one, that's a remake of Tale of Two Sisters, that's so confusing. Let us know what you thought of uh, um, that that remake. We've uh, made our piece with that uh, remake. So you may have, I haven't. I'm still ranting, but yes, okay. <laughs> I've, uh, I've I've gotten all my uh, talk of uh, why are Elizabeth Banks's boobs in uh, each and every shot. I don't remember that from Kim Ji Won's. <laughs> no, no, certainly not. Uh, there's a bonus episode available on the site where we tackle that remake of A Tale of Two Sisters. But uh, I'll throw it over to you. You'll get the final plug and then, then we're out. In case you've forgotten, hangelcelluloid.com is where I am. Um, if you head over to the site, there's a Facebook button, there's a Twitter button, which will lead you directly, and there's details of my email address. Go have a look at the site. And if you want to, have a read of The Uninvited, my review. Um, it is spoiler-free, so you can hopefully read it even without having watched the film and it hopefully won't spoil the film for you is that more difficult or more easy to write uh, spoiler free reviews of movies that hinges on revelations and stuff sometimes one sometimes the other the uninvited was quite easy to be vague because there's a vagueness to it anyway my most recent review was sea fog which has a specific tragedy that takes place and i couldn't say what the tragedy was and saying the talking about the aftermath of the tragedy in terms of you know morals and stuff was an absolute nightmare because i couldn't say what it was um but you know for me it's vital that reviews stay spoiler free yeah yeah it- I guess it is easy, and uh, you you might be tempted to hint that stuff. Like if you if you ever wrote a review for Save the Green Planet, that hinges on are there aliens? Are there not aliens? But obviously, you you don't want to spoil uh, anything that happens in that movie. A lot a lot of things do. 
totally. I think I think I think it's so important for reveals or you know important things to be discovered by viewers. And you know, I I want my reviews to be available to give context to people, whether it's before they watch the film or after, without without ruin it for them. I I want I want them to be as excited about the films as I was when I watched them. And and you certainly uh, share your enthusiasm and your passion externally and not just internally, which is uh, something you should reflect on. That um, you're championing the cinema, but also the fact that you're externalizing your. Um, your fandom and that's a good thing i think so i think so uh cool my friend we are out there uh, we'll be back next week with an episode i i didn't uh, have any suitable like next time because i couldn't think of anything so we're gonna let you know next week what we're gonna look at but it's a newer film the shared link shamanism i guess yeah <laughs> perhaps perhaps it's a horror film <laughs> you know just for a change <laughs> exactly like the wailing again nope shamanism turned up in more movies than the wailing uh but uh, we're gonna look at a new uh, movie from well I, I, might, I might as well say what the movie's uh, name is uh, next episode we're gonna look at the movie from 2017 called the mimic not to be confused with the guillermo del toro movie of uh, not the same name that was just mimic it wasn't a Korean movie, so <laughs> doesn't make there sense. You go. Uh, but anyway, I've been kind of being with me was uh, celebrating his ten years, and we're going to do that next episode in a way too. Uh, was uh, Paul Quinn of Hangul Celluloid? So say goodbye. Thank you for listening, guys. See you later.